to the two-year Bible, custom designed to your Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. And I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And so we are starting and only will spend this week in the book of Hosea. And hopefully you've enjoyed most of it. Uh, you got through almost all of it. And um, just as a contextual reminder, uh, I think it's helpful to remember. Um, and I can't remember on the podcast whether I dove into this, but uh, for many of Israelites, uh, they kind of looked at the picture of um, Sinai as this wedding ceremony and even their time in the wilderness before it got added to uh, for their lack of trusting the spies uh, as the sort of um, honeymoon with with Yahweh. And you got to imagine, they know so little about Yahweh getting to that mountain uh, that um, the laws all the things that we take for granted, they didn't have much of it. All they knew he was the God of their ancestors and uh, there wasn't a ton uh, more added to that. And so Sinai becomes a place where, um, and, and Sinai in the follow-up becomes a place of, do we, do we really trust him? Do we, um, does he provide as he says he will? And are we going to be his people? Do we, uh, a covenant and agree to the vows of, of following, um, the, the, the commandments of the Lord and things like that. And so, um, it carried with, this idea of a, a, a sort of wedding ceremony uh, and, and the idea too of, of getting to know um, in this intimate relational experiential sort of knowledge. Um, it was something that was tied into uh, the experience in the desert and something that will become certainly a theme for uh, Hosea that, that my people shall know me and I will know my people. There will be this experience, um, relational knowing it's not just facts about somebody. It's, it's this, um, it, it carries with it a different idea that the word no just doesn't carry in English. Um, but that, 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 um, the experience and relationship uh, will be established in a way that that you would know who your Lord is and and, and God would be uh, the God of his people. And so for Hosea to kind of pick up on a little bit of that with a sort of prophetic prophetic theater, as we saw um, between this marriage between Hosea and Gomer, um, and, and there's sort of hints even in that text of, of sort of this picture, like, therefore, behold, I will lure her and I will bring her into the wilderness, which is back to the honeymoon place, back where we first uh, were married and speak to her tenderly. And there I'll give her vineyards and uh, speak to the Valley of Acor. And there she shall answer in all the days of her youth, as in the time when she was brought out of Egypt. And so these, these callbacks to the betrothal and honeymoon um, all the way up to the entrance into uh, into the promised land. And so, yeah, it, it becomes this theme, this marriage theme throughout this book of um, infidelity on the part of Israel, on God's um, persistence. Instead of pursuing divorce, he, he desires, desires to in some ways renew his vows towards Israel, but yet there's going to be punishment uh, for that infidelity. But, but that God has this broken um yet um broken heart yet desire uh for his people to yada him again to know him um, there's consequences but there's a still a desire throughout this whole letter and so it's played out in this picture of marriage yeah so Hose- hosea is a contemporary most likely of amos maybe this is written a little bit after amos um and he is actually the only prophet from the northern kingdom so a lot of the prophecies are for people in the northern kingdom but hosea is actually from the northern kingdom and like chris mentioned uh the the main emphasis here the main imagery that we have is marriage but we also see a parent and we'll just see lots of different pictures of god and of israel you know again just a reminder that we're reading 
poetry here. And so poetry tends to be really rich in word pictures and descriptions to help communicate what God is trying to communicate. So um, I think you'll see a lot of messianic references in this book that help us remember Jesus is kind of the answer to all of these problems. Um, and just the total, full, complete um I heard one commentator say madness of the love of God for people. So keep an eye out, pay attention to that stuff as it comes up. Yeah. So uh, as we begin, uh, it's sort of almost like God saying, look, my people have been unfaithful to me. So you prophet, uh, find a wife who will be unfaithful to you. And we'll tell the story through this uh, whole relationship. And so um, as you go through this book, names matter. Uh, so Hosea means salvation. Gomer means completion, uh, sort of as in the sin of idolatry. Um, it's, it's complete. It's total. Um, we get the kids who are named basically scattered, uh, not loved or not receiving mercy. Um, oh, and the last one is not my people. And so uh, these poor kids get uh, pretty rough names uh, in in their naming process. Um, but in the naming of the kids, it's sort of pointing out like the very anger and judgment of God in this moment. Um, but yet immediately, even in chapter one, there's sort of this glimmer of hope as God sort of remembers even the Abrahamic covenant uh, for the people. And, and he says like, look, for you are not my people and I'm not your God, but yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sands of the sea that cannot be measured and numbered. And so um, even, even that callback presents like just this moment of hope. And and then the the opening chapter, I would argue probably ends at, at two one um, where the, this moment of hope uh, is, is, is sort of wrapped up where the kids getting renamed like scattered uh, becomes you are my people and mercy becomes or no mercy becomes you have received mercy. And it's, it's, you're going to see the tension throughout this book going back and forth sometimes between the hope and the punishment. Yeah. So, you know, we start out by really simply seeing Hosea take this prostitute as his wife and giving the kids these prophetic names. But I want to begin by cautioning you as the reader. Uh, you are not Hosea in the story. You are Gomer. We, the church, we are Gomer. We would love to be the ones who uh, want to do the loving and the pursuing, but we are the ones who are loved and pursued by a faithful bridegroom when we continue in unfaithfulness. This image of Hosea pursuing Gomer um, is not mincing or softening the complete just horrendousness of spiritual adultery. And it really should make us just step back and exhale in awe and wonder. These people, and we as a people who are broken, we're not worthy of mercy. We're not worthy of being called as people, but we have become like the sand of the sea and we are called, you and me, we are called children of the living God and we are made princesses or princes. Um, and and because we are loved by God, because we are saved by God. So just step back and thank God that even though we are Gomer in the story, that Jesus really was the perfect Hosea for us. So uh, we deal with Israel's unfaithfulness. Um, and there's such great imagery here. Uh, God kind of saying, look, I, I gave to you, I bless you with such good things. And then you turned around and used those very things to worship Baal Um and, and God's going to destroy the stuff that even she's sort of boasting about, kind of like, look, my, my whoredom, my prostitution paid for all these amazing things. And God's coming along and saying, I'm, I'm going to destroy them. And it's interesting kind of reading this right off of Amos because Amos kind of focused on the effects of idolatry and the effects um, on a very practical societal level. Here's, here's what your idolatry has caused, brokenness with the poor, injustice, all these things. Hosea is kind of bringing the focus of the idolatry and, and sort of the relationship with God picture of that of going, okay, here's what your idolatry has done. It has 
betrayed the covenantal relationship that you've had with God. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's great that we have both prophets painting different pictures uh, of what this idolatry in the North has really caused. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really heavy section, even for us, because we can consider all of the ways that God has given us, all of these gifts God has given us, and how we have given them to our, the own bales in our lives. We spend our time, our gifts, our finances, and our affections on different idols rather than giving them back to God. And so, again, I just, as I read this, I was filled with gratefulness, even for the discipline of God that has caused me to return to Him or repent. Suffering leads us to return to the one we forget and the one that we are meant to enjoy for Forever. And I think there's a really um, unique part about these curses in that a lot of them can be connected directly to Christ. So even in verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. And even in that one line, we know that Jesus on the cross was stripped naked, and we know that he cried out he was thirsty. So we can even connect this to the gospel and that Jesus experienced some of these judgments to save us from our sin. Um, yeah, and uh, continuing in chapter two, the, the Lord has mercy on Israel, and, and he references uh, the Valley of Achor, which is actually where the, the Achan story, if you think back to Joshua, um, the sort of the first sin of the promised land, um, where God, where the people first entered and yet sin was still there, and God's saying, look, I'm going to take that, I'm going to reverse it. Like, w- w- what was the Valley of Achor will become door of hope. Um, th- this return, the return that you'll have one day, there'll be a restoration. Uh, and And maybe that's, a restoration that uh, just a return to the land, but there's also implied the sort of meta restoration. Like there would be a restoration that exists forever. And there's sort of the, the new heaven and new earth implied in that as well. Yeah. We see, um, God wooing us and speaking tenderly to us. And it just makes me think of how Jesus's blood speaks a better word. Um, and then we see the curse of Achan, which was stoning for idolatry. It's not put on us, but instead we're given this door of hope that we can walk through, which is again, salvation in Christ. I don't, I keep saying this every time and I want it to, to have power and force every time it's said, there's just so many messianic connections in this, in this book. Yeah. And, um, in chapter two, towards the end, you actually have a, a section, um, part of, um, what is involved in being a Jew or daily prayers. One of those is Shema. We covered that uh, back in Deuteronomy, but um, the other one is here. Uh, it's actually this, I betroth you, I betroth you section um, as, as sort of like a, almost like a daily vow renewal uh, back to God, knowing God has committed his vows to you, but to say, look, God, sanctify me. And, and my desire is to be your child. And so um, it's actually not, I mean, as a, as a Christian, as a, as a New Testament believer, it's still a, a quite reasonable prayer to pray in the morning. And then Hosea redeems uh, his wife, so he pays uh, for her. And there's mention of barley, there's mention of 30 seconds of silver, which both have maybe some callbacks to the law. Um, barley was certainly used in this sort of um, uh, sort of a test of unfaithfulness, and 30 seconds is around slavery. So maybe this enslaved adulteress this this woman caught in prostitution um is is purchased back is redeemed though she shouldn't cost anything because he's married to her but yeah gomer already belongs to hosea but he buys her back again and so we were made we were created by god we belong to him and yet he went out and bought us again by his blood so we see jesus here um as Messiah is our purchaser, but we also see him here pictured as the second David when it says, uh, they shall come to fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Um, 
With David, their king. Yeah. And uh, if you're looking at structure, this is definitely a break here, uh, one through three. And, mm-hmm. and almost everything in the book is contained in one through three. There's 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 the hope, there's the punishments, there's the accusations. Those do exist in those one through three sections. But now we're going to get into much more details of exactly what the problems of uh, the northern kingdom really were. And so the Lord accuses Israel and it says, here's the charge. And um, it's interesting, uh, ancient interpreters usually did parallels between the first five commandments and the second five commandments and the second one uh, of idolatry and uh, yeah idolatry and the one of adultery were often very linked and so this whole picture of of idols and idolatry and all that uh, would have made total sense in sort of this this play out of adultery theater in the in the life of the prophet um and so it is, it is being played out but there's also the people consequences too so it's not like amos was not about idols and hosea is all about idolatry but like they're swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery they break all bounds there's bloodshed upon bloodshed and so there is sort of the relational play out of of this as well there's there's just destruction but but god says look and my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge and it's still the mm-hmm. kind of root cognitive there's yada they, they just don't know me there's no relationship this is why this is happening because they just don't know and have a relationship with me yeah I, we get some specifics here on why god is judging israel and it's almost written sort of like a prosecution in a court of law so we're hearing here that the priests really failed to teach the people and the people had no knowledge of god because of that yeah. And, and there's punishment coming. And some of those are directed at the leaders. Some of those are directed at Israel as a whole. There's certain some condemnation amongst the leaders uh, throughout this letter. Um, and, and it even gets to the point that says, look, they will even seek Yahweh and they won't find him. And the princes are cheating people out of the land. There's moth and wood rot. There's some similar imagery. Uh, even the lion imagery gets used like we had in Amos. And so um, it's just rich in some of these pictures. Yeah, again, he emphasizes that Israel's rulers have led the entire nation into unfaithfulness and adultery, and God will allow them to reap the natural consequences of their sin. That judgment is going to come on them, and God is going to permit and allow them to experience that so that they can return to them. And I think this is a kindness. And I, when I think of like being a parent, sometimes we let the kids suffer with the decisions they make um, because they learn from those consequences. And that's what God is doing here, even for us. You know, when you wake up hungover, you start eventually uh, you stop getting drunk because it doesn't feel right or you get exhausted paying off the credit card debt because you went into debt we learn based on the consequences of our sin to return to God and to live under his authority yeah and and it continues and and it once again it says let us know let us yada let us press on to to yada the lord so so people are responding saying like this is what we actually need to do like Hosea is calling the people to that to yada to know the lord um and it's interesting cuz even if it was just our worship that was awry like in terms of practical play out of the, I feel like verse 6 would be very different but it says for I desire steadfast love not sacrifice which God commanded them to is to do these sacrifices uh, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings which once again God commanded them to do but they were they were going through the motions they were sort of faking it it's interesting because this verse gets actually quoted by Jesus uh, multiple times and so um, first is when the Pharisees are so upset that Jesus is eating with the tax collector he says why don't you go out and learn what this means for I desire mercy not sacrifice and knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings and the same thing comes up when there's a whole debate about Sabbath and whether um, and using an 
the analogy of David, uh, where he's has to, the, the priest has to violate the law and whether to help feed David from the showbread, um, and, and sort of the teaching of the, the greater law is loving others, even if it's a violation of a lesser law in some ways. And, and the point of the sacrifices, the point of the burnt offerings, all of that is, is for the greater lesson of mercy and the greater lesson of knowledge and understanding who God is. And so the people are missing that. They're going through the motions, but they're not yadaing. They're not knowing. It's it's sort of the same thing that happens in the Sermon on the Mount where people come up to Jesus going, look at all these things we did. And, and Jesus is like, I never knew you. They, he never yadad them. And, and I think the people, even, even in the midst of all their idolatry, like are still seemingly offering burnt offerings and sacrifices, yet they're not knowing. There's no true relationship. There's no saving relationship, really, uh, between them, uh, between the people and God himself. And so um, God is challenging them on that. Yeah, Hosea really emphasizes the inconsistency, the flakiness of Israel's love. They're like a morning dew that's there and gone. Then they cry out to God, but they actually don't want God. They want their comfort back. And so I I like that there's this imagery of dew that comes and goes, but then there's also these spring rains that water the earth, which is how God is pictured. God is the one who is faithful. God is consistent. God is steadfast. So we are invited and challenged to press on to know him, ask him for the grace to love him with endurance and consistency and steadfastness. Yep. Um, and there's there's some great imagery and challenges uh, to the leadership. So the priests are like bands of robbers. So even the priesthoods working together to to pummel people, murderous. And there's princes who are just desired as murderous and lustful, and they're like a stove raging with fire. Like they're almost bird brain, like a dove. And so um, these these beautiful images, I think that Hosea is using. Um, and, and there's um, and Israel is going to reap sort of from this that that he reminds them that these golden calves that they're worshiping are 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 just idols and he calls them a wild donkey in the process that that Israel as a as a nation has forgot their maker and then he actually accuses Judah kind of randomly in the middle of this uh, saying and Judah I was helping to get you you fortified all your cities which is interesting because God's people are the people without a standing army they're the people who welcome the outsider they're the people who go to battle by singing songs or go to battle by carrying a box around and, and things like that. And so yet they're setting up this fortified cities to attack or to keep others out. And so, um, even then God is, or Hosea is still throwing some shade at the Southern kingdom as much as this is so much directed at the Northern kingdom. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Hosea is writing at the time of Jeroboam II uh, and references so much these these calves which were set up by Jeroboam I. So I think we're almost seeing like the opening chapters and the closing chapters of this northern kingdom of Israel emphasizing the cycles of sin and wickedness that they operate in apart from God. Uh, But we do see through this that idolatry follows us through generations. And verse 12 says, Were I to write for him my laws by ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing is a real warning to us. The Israel followed the law under David, but little by little, each generation and ruler let more of it go until they didn't even know or recognize the law. And I think this is why it's important for us, first of all, to know God by knowing his word and not even tolerate slight deviances from his word and truth, and then to share and teach that word to the coming generations. Whether you have kids or not, we are to teach the next generation what it means to know and follow God. <clears throat> So Hosea, once again, reminds him, judgment's at the doorstep. And people are rejecting him even as a prophet. Hosea as a prophet trying to set a snare. Um, but but he has these like great, once again, these great word pictures. Like Israel was once like grapes in the midst of a desert or f- first fruits of a new fig tree. But they came to worship God. Like there was so much hope 
for them. They were like, just like almost like an oasis in the middle of the desert. But then Baal caused them to act like Baal and uh, to, to do these things. And not only that, but then we get language about closing wombs and um, there's some strong language around um, barrenness and stuff like that. That certainly has some Old Testament, more Old Testament tiebacks, but also has straight tiebacks to Baal too, who is literally the god of fertility. So um, yeah, that this, this idea is being played out for them of, of you wanted to worship the God who's fertility. Now we'll talk about fertility. And so, um, and they go from the blessing nations nation to be this, the defined as the wanderers among the nations. And so, um, Israel, who was more fruitful and they even got more fruitful, their idolatry just grew and grew and grew, uh, through that. And so, yeah, there's just so much, there's so much in these chapters. And I, I love that Hosea might even be throwing shade where, um, where he's talking about Bethel and maybe he re- refers to it here as Beth which is like, oh yeah, then you know, those calves in the house of God, Bethel, maybe it's more like the house of nothingness where he calls them Beth which is means house of nothingness. And so, yeah, and there's callbacks to Gibeah and Gilgal and some of these important stories like Gibeah included this whole story of of a concubine and and who was ultimately torn apart for the nations and gilgal had this sort of story of this um it's it's one of the the first lands and coming into the promised land and so um hosea is kind of playing on that of of this concubine and 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 this promised land and and ultimately sort of god's judgment in the midst of that and one of the things that was so destructive for the people and then god even saying like look like i've had problems with you ever since you've entered this promised land and so um yeah yeah, we see here a really clear picture of God's way versus man's way, even just in the verses that are included. Israel plowed iniquity, they reaped injustice, and they ate the fruit of lies because they trusted in their own way and their own wisdom and their own understanding. But we know that those who seek the Lord sow righteousness and reap steadfast love and they break up fallow ground. We have to remember the upside down kingdom of God is offensive to the world around us. It's going to look different than the world around us, but it is, it's the right path. It's the right way to go. Yep. Uh, and God's, God reminds him of his love for them. But, and he moves a little bit between an analogy of a, of a husband to a wife to, uh, to a picture of a father. Um, and, and God is certainly angered uh, and that, that he's provided time and time for Israel, yet they just kind of turn around and ignore him. Uh, and yet he says these such important words, I think, in this book where he's like, but how can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, mm-hmm. O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? Like, how can I treat you like this? Like, my heart recoils within me and my compassion grows warm and tender. And those are such... Um, emotive words for God mm-hmm. uh, towards his people, that God's not going to execute good judgment, at least not a final true judgment. And uh, there will be punishment, but he's not going to do that. And when God roars out again, they will return like birds, but coming back to their homes. And, and uh, even though the Northern kingdom are a bunch of liars, betrayers that, that God has a heart for them and, and it almost grieves him to, to do this, but he desires them to be restored. Yeah. Yeah. So New Testament, um, we are in Mark six this past week and, uh, we see, we start off with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so, uh, the disciples return from their little send out by two, uh, experience to tell Jesus all about what happened. Um, and, and the crowds have grown at this point and, um, 
the the very thing that Jesus seems to be trying to avoid by telling people to don't tell anybody about him. Uh, but he's got crowds and he has compassion on them. He sees them. And what he sees is, is he views them as a lot of sheep who just have no shepherd. And this is an Old Testament callback. This is an indictment that the prophets have multiple times against the leadership of Israel, um, that, that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so, um, so Jesus feeds them and initially he feeds them on teaching. He, he, he sees them with sheep without a shepherd and he teaches them a lot, but then their physical needs pop up too, and they need to be fed more than just teaching. And so, um, uh, Jesus, I think uses this as a bit of an object lesson for his disciples. And he, there's even a play on like, you, you go do this. And I think that'll be actually uh, a little bit of the application, but, um, there's some play. If you remember even back from our, our, our prequel episodes, our starters, primers, um, words have uh, or numbers sometimes have a, a qualitative meaning more than a quantitative meaning in, in Eastern context. And so um, words, uh, numbers like five and two would have represented the Torah and maybe the, the tablets of Moses and uh, things like that. And so when you have uh, people teaching or have uh, things like, well, we only have five and two of something and we need people to sit in groups of 50 and a hundred, which carries with it this sort of mosaic Moses, teaching them decrees and instructions, teaching like all this stuff tied into this moment. Um, and, and these people are going to be fed. It's basically almost like disciples. This is what we do. We feed people, sure, physically, but we feed them like the Torah, the law, the teaching. We, we feed them what God has instructed us, the very word of God uh, to feed them. And, and we're going to feed all like there's, there's, there's enough of, of, there's the 12 leftover kind of baskets here. Like there's more than enough for God's people in this teaching that, that we would feed them with. And, and so I think Jesus is actually pushing his disciples to, to, to be the feeders uh, moving forward. Like, look, look, yes, Jesus will be the empowerment, but their role is to be the feeders of, of, of ultimately, I would argue the, the, the teaching of God, the word of God. Yeah, I think a side lesson here that may not be the main point is just that Jesus and his disciples here, they're exhausted and hungry. They want a break and they're trying to get away, but the people will follow them and Jesus takes compassion on them. Their rest will have to wait because the others matter more. So they're starving and it's getting late and the disciples are like plan to tell Jesus to send everyone away because they have nothing to give or share. They are spent. They're exhausted. But Jesus challenges them to give something. And they emphasize that they really are empty. They have so little. Um, but we see Jesus take bread. We see him take fish and he gives thanks to God and God provides. And so it's a reminder to us that when we are empty and when we are spent and there are opportunities to show compassion and there are sheep without a shepherd, we have to ask God to provide. You don't just send them home. The disciples had nothing to give, but God had enough. So let him provide the manna, the quail, the bread and the fish through you, even when you're spent. Then we get uh, Jesus walking on water, and I think there's some humorous details, I think, to the story. It's as if Jesus is kind of watching them at night, kind of struggle through the storm and these waves. And then eventually, right around, it seems like about 4 a.m., he finally goes out. But he's whatever he's planning on doing, he's, he's, it seems like he's planning on walking right past them. He it even says he would have passed them by if they didn't like notice that it was Jesus and calling out at first, I think it's just a ghost. And, uh, when you're on the lake, uh, I think there was a little bit of a legend, like almost like a Bermuda triangle, like people die in these waters. And so and they're like, Oh, it's like a ghost. But then they're like, no, I think it's Jesus. And so, and they call out, but it's interesting. Mark kind of leaves off some details here, particularly around, uh, Peter walking on water. Um, but I think there's still that tie in because that, 
that Peter story, um, even in the, even in the context of, uh, the feeding and stuff like that usually uh, carries with it this idea of like, um, the disciples, uh, being, uh, equipped, uh, to do what Jesus does and, and to be able to, to follow in the footsteps of the rabbi and be empowered to do the same things. And so, um, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a hook there for that. Um, and the other thing we see, which I'll just continue to say, is that Jesus went away to pray when he was exhausted, when he'd done his work. He didn't binge on Netflix, <laughs> um, but he went away and spent time with the Lord being refilled. Yeah, he didn't have a subscription. In the I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a stretch. Maybe Hulu. Uh, and so <laughs> Jesus uh, then heals uh, some sick. And so like I already pointed out with the, the woman who was bleeding, uh, there's definitely some uh, a belief uh, based upon a, a text out of Malachi 4 that there was healing in the corners of the Messiah who would be to come, um, his garment. And so um, I think Mark is confirming that Jesus' Messiahship yeah, and divinity uh, is yeah. God. And then uh, Jesus is going to have some run-ins to the Pharisees again. It's been a little bit, but uh, he ends up um, interacting with them. And, and they've somehow taken the simple act of eating a piece of bread and turn it to an opportunity to make rules and, and added rules around cleanliness that really have nothing to do with God's law. There's no instruction in Torah about that. Um, and Jesus, um, I think, will we'll take a, the next story or two to, to kind of uh, – pull it all in. So these Pharisees are making laws that are restricting. And Jesus even points out like they're making laws that are, that are traditions of men. Uh, so this is kind of the oral law. Um, and, and here uh, I think Jesus uses this other teaching that they have to, to kind of point out the, the flaws of it. And, and basically you have a, a command straight from the, the 10 commandments that they are to, you're to honor your parents. Um, and that includes taking care of your parents, honoring the family, uh, the family role, the job, the role as children is to continue to do this until your parent dies. And so, uh, particularly in an honor, shame, tight family culture, that was normative. And, and, but there was this loophole that, that came up with where maybe the money you would set aside to do that. Well, if you dedicate it as Corbin, which is like a set aside use of money that the temple can, um, designate with you, then, uh, you don't have to actually uh, use that money to take care of your parents. It's still used for the godly purpose it was intended for. And so it became this weird loophole where suddenly you cannot care and follow one of the Ten Commandments and not care for your parents. And, and so uh, Jesus is pointing out, look, these oral laws are causing not just a violation of like a direct command, but a, but a violation of the second commandment as well, which is to, 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 or the, the other part of the greatest commandment, which is it's causing you to not love others in this process. And so like, I think Jesus starts pointing out, this is the unclean that I'm after. Like what defiles a purpose person? Yes. It's not about the outside obedience. It's your inner motivations. And, and if it's self and selfishness, which he even lists out a bunch of stuff that all of those would, would have the base root of selfishness. If that's your motivation, like, then, then you've completely lost the point of clean and unclean, sin and not sin. Like you, you've missed the point. Yeah, I mean, and even that line, making void the word of God by your tradition, is it's a sobering line. You know, it makes me again reflect: where do I justify my own selfish actions um, and and try to void out the word of God and what truly is taught? Yeah. And then Jesus hightails it way outside of town uh, to Tyre and Sidon, way on the coast. Um, this Phoenician part of the country. And Jesus um, probably has a lot of crowds where he was. And so maybe this is a chance to get away for a little bit of a respite. Um, but people recognize him there and he has this interaction with a woman um, just 
to make sure we soften it. Uh, the word dogs may not be quite as derogatory as we would use it in modern way. It might be more like calling people from the North Yankees or something like that. Uh, more of a cultural identifier. Um, uh, and so, um, but I think in the story, I think there's still some, I mean, not as explicit with Matthew as Matthew, but still some callback callbacks to Isaiah and this widow of Sidon. Like there's a feeding of the prophet with enough that the widow herself ultimately gets fed and it's a picture of God's provision and providence towards the Gentiles. And so, um, I think tied into ultimately Jesus' mission to, to graft in the Gentiles. And so um, I think all this is played out, which will explain, I think, why we get the next series of stories really immediately. But um, yeah, the, this this beauty of this picture. Yeah, I think we see a real object lesson here of Jesus even using this Syrophoenician woman to illustrate to his disciples that the kingdom of God, healing, the presence of God, restoration is not just for Israel, but for all nations. And so I would imagine that, I mean, this experience, of course, stuck with the Syrophoenician women, but I would imagine the disciples uh, recalled it strongly as they were sent to yeah. all nations, every corner of the earth as well. Yeah. It's almost like a teaching lesson coming up because he hightails it all the way to the Decapolis, uh, which is kind of way out of the way from being on the coastline. Um, and, uh, and, and so he, he gets there and, and uh, I think the story is, is, it's certainly about Jesus's power over deafness and helping the deaf hear and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and there's a spiritual interpretation of that, that, I mean, we've already heard in his gospels that those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And, uh, the same thing with sight and being able to see. And so, um, I, I think as listeners, like, and I think this is a pivot point because we're going to watch some, some Gentile interactions as we go. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a, pay attention, especially for Mark's audience who is Gentile. Uh, do you, do you see this? Do you, do you hear this lesson? Do, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear exactly what Jesus is actually accomplishing and doing? Do we see him as he really is? And I, I think uh, Mark, including the story right here, I think it's actually challenging his listeners to, to listen up. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we're hitting on a lot of miracles here. And I know the focus of Mark is to show the authority of the Son of Man. And we're seeing a lot of that through these different miracles, but that are, like Chris mentioned, making all of these other uh, points and illustrations yeah, to us. Yeah, there, there's always more. And 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 I assume there were hundreds of other miracles that, that probably happened in Jesus' life. But these are the ones that Mark goes, hold on, I, I, want, I want this to be a teaching moment. Um, and brought, brings out even more details that that we can learn from. And so we get another miracle. And, and the reason why I think these, these, well, I'll get to it in a second when Jesus unpacks it. But, um, so we have a feeding of 4,000. So we had the feeding of 5,000 back in Israel territory, feeding of 4,000 out into the capitalist and Gentile territory. And number seven, uh, which in Israelite mindset, yes, there's a number of completion, particularly around time or like the fullness of time, but there's also a seven associated with Canaanite nations. It was a number going around associated with them as well, uh, since there were seven Canaanite people groups. And then, uh, even number four usually spoke to kind of the four directions on the map. And so, so you you have this idea of going outwards out to the Gentiles this 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 concept um, and so I think if if Jesus had been sent to the lost sheep of Israel which is how uh, Matthew uh, describes him um, he also was pointing out that he's explicitly sent for uh, the Gentiles too and not just to bless them but to bring them in like they will be fed under what is um, the covenant of Jesus, the, the, the new covenant that is established by Jesus as well. And, and so this is sort of the picture I think that this story is painting for us. Yeah. Again, another picture of 
the gospel being for all people and all nations. And I do find it interesting that we have that story of the Syrophoenician woman. We have Jesus feeding the 4,000, and in the middle of that Mark and Sandwich, we have Jesus healing a, a, someone who is deaf and blind. Yeah. And then we end up with these Pharisees, um, and uh, Jesus gets back over, and they're like, we, we want a sign, which is such a unique timing. Jesus just healed a deaf man. Jesus has fed thousands, including just feeding thousands of Gentiles. This kingdom is in breaking. This kingdom is coming forth, not just in Israel, but beyond. And yet the Pharisees are like, hey, can you give us a sign? It's like... What are you not seeing? How do you not perceive this? Did they clearly they do not have the ears to hear or the eyes to see because they are totally missing out on the on the greater things that Jesus is doing? That's more than the parlor tricks of of maybe what they're looking for, and and so Jesus is just I think frustrated, frustrated with these Pharisees. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. Like he from feeding the four thousand, he gets into a boat and he shows up at this place, and the Pharisees are like, "Give us a sign," and he's like, "Ugh." We're out. And then they gets back into the boat and he leaves again. Like, yeah. this is the only interaction we see happening in this place. Yeah. And I, I almost picture like Jesus getting back into the boat and being like, oh, beware of those Pharisees and their terrible teaching. Like, watch out for them. And the disciples are like, uh, so is this because we forgot the bread? Like, what are you talking about? And, and I just imagine Jesus being like, what? Like, no, of course. Like, did you guys not get the bread lesson? Like, let me ask you about those numbers again. And he starts going into the whole numbers conversation. He's like, we had five and we had two. And how many do we have left? We had 12. Okay. What do all those numbers stand for? And then we had seven and then we had four. It's like, what What do all those numbers stand for? And so, um, and I think Jesus is teaching like the, this this inbreaking to the Gentiles. And, and, and the reason why like we have two different feeding stories, I think is because of that lesson that he has just pointed out to the disciples. Because otherwise, why record it? We already had it once. There's no reason to record another feeding story other than to point out that these are different feeding stories. And one has a, a very Jewish flair to it, and one has a very Gentile flair to it, as if God, Jesus is ultimately teaching to his disciples of going, look, the kingdom of God is doing a shift that that has been prophesied for years about bringing in the Gentiles into the family of God. And this is happening right now, and I need you to see it. And even more for Mark's audience to hear that lesson. Yeah, I think this is where we see what I mentioned last week in this idea of discipleship failure or the disciples just not getting it. I mean, over and over we see Jesus illustrating his divinity, his authority, his plan to save all people. And every time, no matter how he presents it to the disciples, they still don't get it yet. And we'll see it click for them, which is going to be kind of fun. But um, we see this theme of them, the people who are even closest with Jesus, still not getting it. Yeah. And so Psalms and Proverbs, we start with Proverbs 3. Yeah, I mean, this is so rich and it starts with this huge, you know, kind of like love poem to wisdom, I think is what we see. But uh, we are to live lives of steadfast love and faithfulness. And don't just gloss over the passage about trusting in God with all your heart. We hear it all the time, but it's a super powerful, um, super powerful verse for us to remember, probably in a lot more decisions than we really do remember it. And just... Um, Remember that all we have is from God and we need to embrace his discipline and uh, blessing comes with wisdom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's some very memorable verses in there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, which is pretty much a huge lesson that is throughout all of scripture in some ways. Uh, and uh, lessons around um, don't forget my teaching or in all your ways, submit to him and, and, and keep those commandments and he will make your way straight. Like there's all these kind of parallel texts. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly the theme of go after wisdom, get it. Uh, like wisdom is what you should be desiring and building in you. 
Psalm 71. Yeah, so I like how the psalmist just jumps right in with this desperate and urgent crying out. He doesn't build up to the prayer, but he dives in and goes for it. And I think we see the psalmist making lots of requests to God, but we see this one consistent refrain of continually, my praise is continually uh, for you. I will hope in you continually. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting psalm. It actually is, seems like a compiled psalm. There's a bunch of lines in the psalm that come from other psalms. Uh, but um, it seems like there's a king or something that's failing health at the end of his um, health for some reason. And it's just r- reminded of, of God's faithfulness in the past, how he sustained, and just praying that God would renew him again. And then Psalm 135. Yeah, so this is just a call and invitation to praise the Lord like a lot of the last psalms are. It's not just for the leaders, but for all people. And part of praising God means looking back on all that he's done, remembering the fate of those who worship idols, and then settling back into praising God because he's worthy. Yeah. Yeah, there's almost a tracing of, of almost what we've read from Exodus on out. Like there, there was their Exodus out of Egypt and then these battles that they fought while wandering in the desert against Og and Magog, all the different kings. And But then there's all the idolatry and, and, and the reminder. And it's such an indictment on the idols in this text. And it's such a good one to, to have in your back pocket. I think at times to remember, it's like these these idols, what are they? They're, they're just dumb idols. Like they have, you can carve out some eyeballs in a statue. But that doesn't mean it sees. It's still just a statue. And you can carve a mouth, but that doesn't mean it speaks. It's just a statue. And so um, this sort of indictment of we have a living God versus the idolatries, uh, all the various idols that, that people are choosing to worship. So next week. So in the Old Testament, we're going to wrap up Hosea. And I'd encourage you to spend some time journaling and reflecting on the themes and imagery that stood out to you. Write your own prayer to God around the story of of Hosea and the way that he, through Jesus, has, has bought us back and saved us. Allow the beauty and the power and the conviction of that book really to penetrate your heart and your spirit. Um, and in the New Testament, pay attention to Jesus' servant. What does it do? What does he do that displays his servant heart and what does he say around the heart and idea of service yeah and as we start uh, into micah next week uh there are going to be verses that like are, are probably fairly familiar to us as new testament readers and and that's well and good to sometimes jump to like oh that's about jesus in this moment stuff like that but um sometimes take a moment and like pause and and go okay like how, how would the ancient person you've even thought about this verse or interpreted this verse? Uh, because even some of them aren't always about totally the future and more a teaching lesson around something else. So um, I'll, I'll explain that probably a little bit more next week, but but think about that because you know, I think sometimes we miss the analogy that the prophet's after. Uh, and then New Testament, uh, watch out for those sandwiches um, and, and, and use them. Uh, I mean, like Mark and sandwiches, not like if <laughs> Jesus is going to be eating a sandwich that, that comes later uh, when he's restoring uh, Peter, Peter. Uh, but use them to interpret some of the upcoming stories. Like ask the question, like why would Mark put the story right here and interrupt this other story with this story or put it between these two references that feel similar. Like they're usually there intentionally and, and maybe they might help you interpret as you go. So watch out for those, uh, particularly next week. Thanks y'all. Thanks. Thanks.